Hello and welcome to the Brand Explorer podcast. I'm your host, Dirk Belling, coming to you from Munich. These interviews explore the trails and passes people have taken to build successful brands in the cycling community. Listen to their lessons from their own personal experience. Enjoy the ride. Charlie Hancock was a world championship level sailor when he chose a bike to stay fit. Even so, he never competed at higher levels. He found a new passion. Born and raised in Rome with Canadian citizenship, he started his bike industry career at Campagnolo to then switch to GT bicycles, curious to learn more. His parents, working for an UN agency, gave him the gift to care for people. Five years ago, after riding with friends from Vincenza to Rome, celebrating his 50th birthday, Charlie decided to start a new company, Scudo Bike Tours, offering exclusive guided rides for small groups of cyclists who want to enjoy personal challenges on road or gravel bikes mixed with Italian Dolce Vita. All our customers have to do is show up excited with their bike in Italy and be fit to ride five days of 100 plus kilometers back to back through beautiful Italian countryside. About the rest, we take care. This is how Charlie summarizes Scudo Bike Tours. We talk about the differences between working for a top-level Italian versus an American brand. Why, from his personal experience, the Giro d'Italia is the most fun to watch of all the Grand Tours. And how a train became the party location for his 50th birthday. Enjoy the ride. So, Charlie... Where did you watch the game last night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you knew I would watch the game, didn't you? Uh, it's a little hard to uh, to uh, avoid that here in Italy, I must admit. No, I watched it at home, I must admit. Uh, but uh, I'm normally an early to bed, early to rise. But uh, last night I didn't get to bed until... What was it? Eleven o'clock, eleven thirty. Um, but so you, uh, didn't, so you didn't even watch the finish. Oh yeah, no, come on. Of course, I watched the finish. <laughs> <laughs> but here, as I think everybody knows, Italians are soccer crazy, and uh, and yeah, uh, it was. Uh, well, I can't say the game was very good, but the result was pretty good. Uh, seeing Italy win with uh, on the penalty kicks is. Not as nice as winning it with real goals, but uh, hey, a win's a win. So, and the incredible thing is, you think about it, Italy didn't even qualify for the last worlds. <laughs> so, uh, wasn't it exactly the drama this needed? Like, you know, to the very end, you know, an extension and penalties and in yep. and outs. And where was your heart? Were you, were you fully for, for the blue team, or is there still, uh, some for the British. Lions. Well, I was uh, chatting on WhatsApp with my cousin in, in London. And uh, of course, I was just telling him, hey, I win in all cases. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but my heart's, my heart's with the Italian team. There's just no doubt about it. So, 
So, uh, yeah, so I was, yeah, I was definitely happy and, uh, uh, the Italians love this stuff and, uh, uh, it's a, it's a nice way to forget about all the problems and, yeah, and sure. things that, uh, we've gone through for the last year and a half. So it's a way for, for the Italian politicians to slam through some laws that they, they, <laughs> nobody, nobody will notice in the next couple of days. <laughs> this brings me to the first point is like you know we speak in in perfectly clear english and you're canadian english but if i saw right you were born in rome right so how did that work out a canadian born in rome yeah i'm romano di nascita as they say yeah um i was born in rome on uh, on june 2nd which in fact is a funny thing because it's a it's a national holiday the Festa della de la Repubblica. And um, my parents were living there at the time. Uh, and actually, we lived there for many years to follow. But uh, uh, I was born in Rome because my father was working for a UN agency, United Nations agency called FAO, which is Food Agricultural Organization. And they have their headquarters in Rome. So, yes, I was born in Rome. Uh, and lived my first 19 years of my life in Rome. So uh, in, at home we spoke English, but uh, and my all my education's been in English. But uh, outside of home and outside of school, uh, I spoke Italian. So I learned Italian and English at the same time. So my, my Italian's a little rusty, so we stay with the with the English. No problem. But I mean, literally, when I was a kid, uh, I didn't even realize that I was learning another language until somebody told me that with the kids in the park, you're speaking Italian and at home, you speak English. And so that was a nice way of learning a language without even realizing it. So we met the first time when you already had a job at the great, great company of Campagnolo, where you worked as a PR manager, public relations manager, and I was at the magazine. How did you get into the cycling business? Well, yeah, it's a weird story, actually, because um, my main, I've always been involved in some sort of sport activity, but my main sport was sailing, which is pretty far and distant from uh, from cycling. And um, I was a sailor uh, since I've been a, been a teenager and uh, actually reached some pretty decent levels. Uh, being on the Italian junior team and then the Canadian sailing team. But to keep in shape for sailing, believe it or not, I started cycling. <laughs> and uh, that led to <laughs> a whole slew of things, including, as you well know, uh, working in Campagnolo. So a, a passion, my sailing passion continues existing. I was windsurfing in Lake Garda last Friday, as you well know. And, uh, but, uh, the cycling, I started cycling just to keep in shape for sailing. My sailing was all in dinghies, uh, smaller boats. They're very physical. Uh, a regatta, uh, lasts at least the time when I was sailing. Now they've shortened the time of regattas, but regattas were about two to three hours long. So a cycling effort was quite similar to, uh, the effort required in a, in a sailing regatta. So I started, I started cycling. So you, 
hard to believe, but you're sandbagging a little bit here with like, you know, your sailing victories. I mean, you were a world champion, right? You became a world champion in the laser category, right? Yeah, I also, well, I participated in uh, numerous world championships and, uh, Yes, uh, uh, we did. We did win. We did win a world championship in a boat called a Laser Two. Uh, maybe anybody who's been involved in sailing might know the Laser. Um, this was a two-man boat, uh, Laser Two. Um, in North America, it's quite popular. Um, and uh, yeah, in Kingston, actually, in my hometown, uh, they were hosting the world championships, and we decided to participate, and uh, we won it. <laughs> Great, awesome. And so back to cycling, though you use it for fitness, but did you ever get into competitive cycling as much as in sailing? Or did you try? No, I, I did some local races and stuff like that, but nothing at an extremely high level. Um, I tried to do, actually, this is a funny story. I tried to do a, a dilettante race, which would be like a cat one race, I think, for American standards, sort of just the level, just below professionals. And there was some loophole that uh, people under a certain age could do it. So I decided to do it. Well, basically, I finished when they were uh, taking down the finish line <laughs> and I had to go and find a judge and knock on his shoulder and say, hey. That's my race bib number. Please write it down that I finished because I well knew that was the only one I was going to do. So, so yes, I mean, I've done some racing, nothing too high level. And when I did try, it was, <laughs> it was, uh, as I said, I got to the finish line where they were taking things down. So uh, the, the, the Campagnolo times were, were heavy, heavy into road cycling, right? Absolutely. Or was, was there already mountain biking at that time or they tried? Did they no, try? they had. They had already done their experiment and lost out big time and uh, I, I decided to concentrate on road. Um, so, but uh, I must say the Campagnolo experience was wonderful, delightful. It was a really, really good time. What were the, the highlights there for you, if you think back? Um, well, I guess the highlights, we organized a bunch of uh, events and presentations during the three and nearly three and a half years I was there. Those were definitely highlights. Um, we inaugurated a monument uh, for Tullio Campagnolo, the original founder, which was quite an event, uh, book presentations, numerous product presentations, Uh, but also one that was really stuck in my mind was uh, Campagnolo sponsored their first big Grand Fondo, mm -hmm. which is now lo no longer called Campagnolo. It's now called Sportful, uh, the Grand Fondo Sportful. And, um, but uh, that was their, their first step into that world of the Grand Fondos, which I think, as we all know, has exploded over the last 10, 15 years. So you were, were more on the on the on the Confondo side, or did you also happen to go to the Tour de France or Giro Italia to those big races as well? I went there for work for oh, it was kind of funny because I I went there for work for Campagnolo on several occasions, but uh, also uh, we'll lead into this later. But uh, for some of my summer vacations, we're literally working at the Tour and the Giro uh, with a tour company. Okay. So what did you do there then? Oh, it was, it was quite, it was actually uh, a company 
which I think still exists, to be very honest with you, called Breaking Away Bicycle Tours. And we would follow the Giro and the tour. Uh, and basically, we would bring guests uh, to normally what, the last week of the Giro and the tour and uh, follow the race uh, for the last week. And uh, it was sort of a little bit where I learned some things uh, and uh, also a lot of fun. <laughs> so basically, then you wrote all the, the stages and... Uh... Or part of the stages? Yeah, it was a pretty simple formula in the sense that they would uh, take you um, for the last hundred or so K of the race and they would drop off people where they so desired. Um, and then they would ride the last hundred uh, K in or if they didn't want to ride at all that day, it would take them right to the finish. Okay. And uh, so it was, uh, yeah, my holidays was... Uh, was was taken up doing these things. So ha is was that the start for you to go on on these kind of like cycling holidays and tours, or was it already before happening? That was a start for me. On oh, the start, okay. but I think I did it for oh four years, I would say. Yeah. And then, and then came the dramatic shift from an Italian company to a yes company to GT. That was a pretty dramatic shift, I would say. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely so what, right. It was it was from a family run company to uh, actually uh, about the, the only thing that was similar between the two jobs uh, at Campagnolo and at GT Bicycles was we were both working in the cycling industry. But Campagnolo was road 100% and GT was I would say 99.9% mountain bike BMX. Um Campagnolo was family run, uh, and GT was actually at that time was uh, was on the was on the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> right. So uh, the running of the company was extremely different. Did, did did you have any BMX or or MTB background when you got there, or was it all? Oh yeah, no, no. My, I mean, my 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 start in the cycling world was with uh, with mountain bikes. And did you stay in Italy or did you move for that? Moved position? all the way to sunny Belgium. Huh. Okay. <laughs> and so talking about uh, U.S. versus uh, or Italians, like what, looking back there, what was like, you know, an, a U.S. brand, you know, um, how did a U.S. brand work differently than uh, than Italian brand? Very differently, very differently. But I think uh, it was in large part due to the fact that family run and quoted on the New York Stock Exchange, which made the biggest difference. Um, uh, being quoted on the New York Stock Exchange meant that they were a whole series of criteria had to be checked and budgets and forecasts and stuff like that, which, as you can imagine, was, uh, was pretty tedious. Um, on the sort of family side in Campania. It was one person, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, and uh, and I don't know how it is now, but uh, I, from what I understand, it is still uh, no longer Tulio, the founder, but Valentino Campagnolo still still runs the show and has has uh, absolute say on on practically everything. Um, but again, I say the three and a half years that I spent in Campagnolo were wonderful, and they were very supportive. I learned a lot, and it was. Uh, It was a beautiful experience. Uh, my transition to GT bicycles was literally only because I was 27 
years old at the time and wanted to do new experiences and uh, uh gt offered me that so yeah that was the definitely the the, the heydays of uh, of mountain biking of team gt of uh yeah the, the mountain bike industry growing like crazy now tying into some of your previous podcasts uh, colleagues <laughs> exactly Mr. Mark Peterman and Hans Ray and all that uh, talking about the GT days. Yeah, it was it was good times. There's no doubt about it. So, what were the you know? Mark shared some some of his highlights and what what he really connected him so so strongly to the passion to the, the brand. But what were your uh, moments or people that you say, "Wow, that was uh, um, that still stuck with you"? Well, uh, somebody, Mark Peterman. Uh, mentioned and spoke highly of was uh john holcomb right and uh he was my boss um so definitely i uh i knew him very well and uh uh he was he was quite the character and the quite the person to work with and um also uh one thing that mark mentioned during his his podcast with you was uh press presentations and i was very involved with that And it was, it was, we were with GT at that point uh, ahead, uh, ahead of the bandwagon. Now, uh, journalists have so many presentations to go to that, right. uh, they just don't know what to do with them. And, uh, to get a journalist to come to a presentation, uh, now it's, uh, you really have to put on a, a show that you can't forget at that point. The years we were doing it, uh, they were more than happy to come. And GT had a wonderful presentation. There was no doubt about that. And they, the trips were quite memorable. Uh, but uh, they were definitely ahead of the game at that point, without any doubt. Yeah, at that time, I remember being part of the media crew, right, you know, uh, at the beginning. But then, you know, being part of the industry, um, it became almost a, a road circuit, right? A circus to travel to these events, um, fancy locations. So what, what was your, your highlight on, on press camps where you say, whoa. Well, I think the one also, uh, uh, we were both at Brian Head in Utah, weren't we? Yeah. Right. Were you also on the one in Corsica? No, I, okay. I didn't get invited there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was also quite a, quite a presentation in Corsica. Um, so there were, I mean, they were, Events that you remember, and I think if you talk to any journalist who were at either of these presentations, they will remember them without any doubt. When's the last time you've been to a, to a you've been holding a press presentation? You've been going to one. Oof. Um, let me think. Inviting press? Oh, even quite recently, um, we. Uh, I would say last two years we were doing a press presentation with um, BBB. Uh, they're a parts manufacturer. And um, we were in, oh, goodness, in France. Uh, good Lord, now I'm trying to remember the name, but I can't, doesn't come to me. But yeah, uh, even though it was a beautiful place, all paid for as always, but convincing journalists with their lists of presentations was difficult. <laughs> from, from your view, having done this now since the, the 90s, um How is it working with journalists today compared to to when you started at Campy or GT? Well, I think it's uh, 
still quite similar. I mean, yeah, of course, uh, we're not, uh, it's a different way of communicating, become communicating now compared to what it was in the early nineties was, uh, print. Uh, now print is, uh, definitely secondary. So yes, uh, the people you have to invite are very different. But um, at the end of the day, you still have to present them a product, present them the technical uh, aspects of each product and the features and the benefits and uh, sort of wow the journalist and give him all the information that he needs to, to write or make the video or uh, promote it as, as, uh, as we seem fit, which before was probably just photos and text. <laughs> okay. So just much, much more channels of uh, media, communication. Right? Yeah. And then after, after GT, you went back to an Italian company. Was it too crazy for you or did you just want to go back to Italy? Well, certainly that was, a, that was a big aspect of it. There's no doubt about that. Yes. Um, it was kind of funny because I returned to Italy to um, what uh, was a very sort of classic Italian company working in the cycling industry, which is a company called Atala. Um, I'm, I kind of doubt uh, many of our your foreign listeners will, will remember the brand Atala. Um, maybe some people might remember it because they actually had a pro team Uh, they sponsored and a couple of foreign riders were riding with the Atala jersey, um, but uh, they were strictly an Italian brand. Um, they still are an Italian brand, but the brand from the, the owners I was working for uh, have sold it to another company, and now it's still called Atala. The brand exists, but uh, it was it's a completely different company. But they were a very, very big company, had a huge uh sales network uh i think they had about a hundred reps ra traveling around italy uh they had a, a number of uh, uh hub warehouses all over italy um an incredibly efficient uh sales and distribution system which uh which uh, now has been completely dismantled but at the time was uh, uh incredible incredible for the time And, and that also came came more a change to 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 sales and product. Is that right? Where before you were more media and marketing. No, I was uh, initially. I stepped in there as uh, as more of a sales manager for uh, uh, sort of a, um, key client customers. Right. Um, but uh, I rapidly found out that the product team was really not up to par. And they were still doing a lot of their sourcing uh, in Europe and Italy. And uh, basically, one of the things I took on was to find some new suppliers in the Far East um, for not only parts, but also complete bikes. So I helped them do a pretty drastic transformation from local production to uh, outsourcing. And so how was from, from the brand wise the change? I mean, GT and, and Kampa being really high end, very visible brands. And as you said, um, Atala, probably known in Italy, but, uh, not much further. Um, how was that for you working on that, that level of new brand experience? 
Well, they had some higher end, but yes, the bulk was, I would say, lower end sort of bikes that were going from 300 to 700 euros. That was the bulk of the business for Atala, without a doubt. So yes, that's, that was a bit different. There's no doubt about that. Um, but uh, it was a very interesting challenge uh, finding these new suppliers and helping the company uh, grow and evolve to a, a, an outsourcing model, which was, uh, I think, long overdue. Were you, were you still doing those uh, road trips then with the Tour or Giro? No, guiding. at that point I wasn't. No. But this is now today part of your business, right? So you started a complete new company, um, Scudo, with the uh, age of 50, you know, something new, similar to Mark Peterman, something completely new after these many years. So um, tell us what, what struck you to leave the business behind you and start your own business with age 50. Yeah, it was uh, basically my 50th birthday. 50th birthday, I my birthday present to myself was to take a few days off and uh, with my friends and ride from Vicenza, which is my hometown where I'm talking to you from today, uh, and uh, ride all the way to Rome, my ho uh, old hometown. And um, it was a beautiful trip. Just wonderful. Uh, and uh, my friends I was riding with uh, at one point just said, Charlie, this is so beautiful, so much fun. You should promote and set up a company and sell this trip to foreigners. And that's what I did, <laughs> simply put. For those who, who, who don't uh, ride uh, Vincenza Rome uh, as much as you do, how many kilometers or how many stages were that? In that occasion, we did it in four days. Okay. Uh, that was 150K a day. Okay. So that was, yeah, we were, we were riding a good many hours every day, but uh, maybe more than what most people would want to. But uh, it, was, uh, it was a wonderful trip. And uh, we got to Rome at around five o'clock, and then we... Unfortunately, didn't waste any time, but hopped on a train at 6.30 and we're back home, I think, at about 11. <laughs> so you, you, didn't, you didn't even go to, to one of your favorite restaurants and, and party your birthday in Rome? No, it was kind of funny, actually, because uh, we had to be back already on the Monday. So uh, no. we, uh, we had to hop on the train straight away, but uh, we had uh, forwarded all our bike bags and stuff uh, onto, uh, onto Rome and picked them up at a at a sort of a luggage deposit. And as I said, since it was my birthday, I had sent a, a bunch of bottles of wine and, uh, and even soppressa, which is the classic Italian sausage from this area. And basically we hopped on a, on a, on a fast train at uh, 6.30 and <laughs> we, <laughs> we started cutting salami and drinking red wine, Felt pretty stinky because we'd been ridden our bikes for about, about six, seven hours that day. So I don't think we were the most popular people on that train. <laughs> But so you definitely had we the had best a great time. time. Yeah, the best time there, like partying your your birthday in the ride. So exactly. And exactly. The, the ride itself was it was it followed with the car? Or did you guys carry no, all no, your? No, no, totally self sufficient. 
Tell totally self-sufficient, uh, small, as light as possible, just one change of uh, clothing, a pair of sandals, a toothbrush, and really a credit card, credit card traveling, so to speak. So it was, it was, it was a trip uh, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. And that's what we want all our guests and this, uh, this company, uh, this tour company we offer. We want to make a trip that you will never forget. And so, so what, what did it take then for you to, to really take that friend, friend's advice of starting a company to really make it happen? It was quick. It was really quite quick. I mean, uh, really a time to get back and think about it. Um, I mean, it's something that I think I wish I'd started many years prior because uh, I think it fits me as a person, uh, my character. Uh, it fits me perfectly. Um, I should have started earlier. So I just jumped right into it. And um, and I have to thank a good friend called Leonard Zinn uh, from Boulder in the U.S., in Colorado, um, who uh, gave me some support there and uh, helped me promote the trip, the, the main trip that we've always done and uh, the first debut trip which was not a Vicenza to Rome, but uh, we moved it slightly, offset it a little bit, which was now and the trip, one of our top selling trips, which is Venice to Rome. That's about the same length of like uh, yeah, four days? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, we're, we've lengthened it a bit. We do only 100K days. So speaking about Leonard, you know, for, for many, he's a very well-known and, and famous uh, person, you know, being... Uh, around as long or even longer than we are as a technical editor of Velo News, right? And uh, also building his extra large frames. How, how tall is Leonard? He's a tall guy, right? <laughs> he certainly is tall. I don't know exactly how tall he is, if, but... Uh, if, you, if you two stand together, there's a... There's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he so caters what, what, to what very size frames. What size frames do you ride? <laughs> About a 50... Okay. Yeah, he I, caters I, I, to people like himself and to people like me. Very small people or very tall people. So I would guess he's probably like at a, at a, at a 64, right? I would think he's something around that, yeah. Yeah, so here you go. Charlie 50, Leonard 64. And so like, how, how did he help you? Like, what is, did he come over or what? what uh, well, it's uh, kind of a sad story to a certain degree, but uh, he was uh, going to come over for our first debut trip. And uh, unfortunately, uh, he had some health issues which uh, stopped him from coming over. Um, so uh, he, he himself couldn't come, but uh, he in the meantime had uh, found a, a bunch of friends to, uh, to come over for the trip, which uh, came over anyways. And uh, we did our very first trip with, uh, with a bunch of uh, friends from Leonard. And it was a wonderful trip, and uh, I'm still in contact with many of the guests. Um, some guests have returned for other trips with us, and it was uh, it was certainly a trip that uh, which I'm sure they all remember. How big is is, is that uh, cycling tour company of yours now? How many people are there? How many trips do you offer? And well, we are not very big. I mean, we uh, run around four or five trips per year. Um, and the trips, we specifically keep them to a limited number. We normally like to keep them around nine people 
because we want to give the services that we've promised um, and we want to give the, our guests full attention. And so what, uh, you know, are, are all those the, the trips uh, between Venice and Rome on the road bike or do you also offer different kind of ridings, you know? Um, well, they are on road bikes, even though, uh, especially on the Venice to Rome trip, there's quite a few gravel sections. So we suggest people to not come with 19 millimeter tires. <laughs> do, do those still exist in Italy? 19 millimeter tires? I don't think they do, but I must say I used quite a few of them <laughs> in my heyday. But now I'm using 28 and I suggest wow. that all our guests come over on minimum 25s, if not 28. And so what the, what guests are, are coming there? I mean, I've, I've saw, looked at their webpage there. They come from all over the world. It's not just... Uh, Yeah, we are. Our customers are mainly Americans, Canadians, and Australians. Um, those are where most of our customers come from. Um, generally, they're people who are quite busy. Um, um, lawyers, doctors, uh, entrepreneurs. Um, and uh, they are certainly cycling fans. I mean, uh, if there's a cycling race going on during one of our trips... Uh, If we, we give them regular updates during the day, I mean, they are certainly cycling fans. I mean, on a trip, uh, a Scato trip, it's a trip that uh, you do have to train for. I mean, this is one of our uh, things that makes our trips a bit different is you, uh, it's not a walk in the park. You have to train for it. it. Like when you sign up for a Grand Fondo, you have to train for it. To do a Scato trip, you have to train for it. So it gives you a, a goal, an objective, maybe during your winter months to, uh, to, to train for your summer challenge. What, what goals do you give them there? Like you have to be able to ride this, this many miles and, and altitude. Well, and, one or... thing we, we tell them is uh, it's important to maybe to do a back-to-back -back 100K ride. So a Saturday and a Sunday 100K ride. If you can do that and you feel comfortable, you're ready for a Scato tour. But uh, you've got to put in a few miles. And we want, uh, we want people to, to work for their holiday. <laughs> <laughs> But what's the longest trip you offer? How many miles is that? Or kilometers, sorry. Well, generally, we keep them all to 100, uh, 100, Euro, 100 euros, excuse me, 100 kilometers per day. Perfect. So some trips might last uh, uh, five days or seven days, but we always try to keep it uh, within, within that range. But uh, on a little sidebar, I mean, we do offer also a lot of custom tours. Uh, people see what we do, and we can definitely organize a trip to measure. So we can say... A specific area, a specific number of days. Maybe they want to ride more. Maybe they want to ride less. And we can definitely cater to that. So we can uh, talk to the customer, see what uh, what goals they have, and then um, adjust the trip accordingly. So really, like like cycling, it's it's a customized touring. So you... absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Did you have any, anybody call you? I want to do 200 every day for five days. That hasn't happened yet. Not yet. <laughs> Good for you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> any 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 interesting stories that come up when you know, or like you know, surprising stories? Uh, even so, the people trained for it and came up. 
Well, yes. I mean, of course, you get some people who come very, very, very fit. Like you also get people who are, unfortunately, even though we are very clear on how they have to prepare, don't always come uh, prepared. Um, but uh, we've always been very clear from the beginning. Um, and uh, it's incredible. So what does that mean, being clear? That if you if you fall off, then get a train or what? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I can imagine, I know some people to finish the trip uh, definitely had to dig deep in the bucket to, uh, to finish uh, many of the stages. Um, Do you offer broom wagon? Oh, absolutely. Service? No, no, we're, we're there always. I mean, that's, that's a given, I would say. We have the van is there ready at all times. Uh, we're always totally within reach. So if somebody really can make right. it, and it happens, there's no doubt about it. it. It does happen. Some people can have an off day. Uh, right. The weather can be extremely shitty for some reason. I mean, if you're up in the Dolomites and it starts raining, uh, it can be August uh, in the middle of the summer and it could snow. So I can. you have to be ready for that sort of uh, eventuality. So, I mean, that's why we have a van and that's why... We limit the groups to uh, to the numbers. We limit them because we want to, if the situation becomes terrible, uh, everybody has a place in the van. Everybody. So how, how does, it, does spontaneous, a spontaneous uh, rest day look like then? All day in the, in the coffee place or in the bar? <laughs> well, uh, normally we have uh, some pretty damn nice hotels. So uh, if we did have to cut a day short, we would definitely go to to the next hotel and, and relax and uh, get warm or freshen up, depending on the weather. Do you still offer also to, to, to go along on these races like the Giro? Or? Yeah, that is actually uh, um, something we've always been thinking about, and we probably will be offering... Um, a custom tour with uh, some friends uh, in the future. Uh, but following the Giro is definitely uh, ups the stress level the, a couple of notches. And um, it's basically because when we organize our tours, we can dictate the schedule. Um, if you follow a race like the Giro, uh, the schedule is dictated by the race, which sometimes can... Uh, make things a little bit more difficult. But um, the Giro is a lot of fun. The Giro is a lot of fun. And uh, what I always say to many people, fans who maybe haven't experienced the Grand Tour event, um, go to the Giro uh, more than the Tour, more than the Vuelta. It is way more fun. Um, and uh, it's just a a festa, a party. And... Uh, um, if somebody wants us to organize a trip to the, to the, to the Giro, contact us. We'd be more than glad to do it. <laughs> and so what, what is the big difference here from an Italian stage race to a French stage race? Um, I think the level of racing at the Giro is just as high as the tour. Um, but doesn't have all the stress that the tour has the hype the the road closures the um, the security um, it's just a, a more manageable event but uh, 
And also, uh, when the Giro goes through even the smallest of towns, the town comes to a standstill and it's just a festive atmosphere. Wherever the Giro goes through, it's a festive atmosphere. And it really is very pleasant. No, I definitely can see this having experienced both races that um, Giro is much, much more relaxed and makes it more fun to, to be with the people there. Absolutely. Great. As we all know, the, the Corona thing made uh, many companies stop. And, and as we, we talked before, you know, your whole uh, traveling train came to a stop. Um, any, any, any green lights in the near future that you can restart or how, how are things looking? Well, yeah, uh, we didn't. We had to cancel all our trips last year, unfortunately. Um, I'm proud to say that we gave 100% total refunds to everybody. Um, and uh, we have something written in pencil for the end of the summer. But I must admit, uh, with all the latest developments, uh, I kind of doubt we're going to be able to pull them off. So uh, our minds and our planning is already all geared towards uh, 2022 for next summer. So, uh, but we're we're a pretty lean company. So thank God we don't have any high overheads. So uh, we can we've definitely sailed through this COVID period, um, and uh, we're already working on new trips for uh, for next year. Uh, we've got a, a trip in Sardinia in the works, which should be up on the website fairly shortly. And we also have um, a trip in our home area, home region, which is the Veneto. So we've we've got new trips around the corner, and we will be promoting these fairly soon. Of course, does everybody bring his own bike, or do do you also provide rental bikes if needed? That's a good question. Um, we can provide bikes. No problem there. Um, but uh, the majority want to bring their own um, okay. just because uh, our trips do require a good six, seven hours on the bike um, and they want to bring their own bike with them. So, um, but we can supply bikes uh, for everybody if so requested. Do, do you also have offer like, you know, being in Italy and you knowing all the industry, Uh, special stops like uh, visiting uh, famous cycling companies? Well, so far we have not done that because uh, our trips have not taken us through those areas. But uh, for example, the one mentioned, I mentioned one trip we're working on, which will be in the Veneto area. So we'll, uh, we'll be sitting around Vicenza, Venice, Treviso area um, and doing multiple rides in that specific area. And that is a real hub of the cycling industry. We will right. definitely be knocking on some doors. <laughs> Which would be next to Campy? Who well, else is down there? Uh, I think a Campy visit would be would be very very interesting, and we'll certainly work to propose that. But uh, we'll have to see whether we manage to get those doors opened. And, and what other companies are there? Just for. Oh, in this area, I mean, there is Villier, Pinarello, uh, saddle companies. They're all all here. Uh, right. uh, those are the first ones that come off my mind, off top of my oh, head. That's a good mix. <laughs> and so the other one is like the, the you know, it, it, Italy is Italy is full of of cycling heroes. 
Uh, are there rides where once in a while you, you meet somebody, people come along for the ride? Or? Well, this is one thing. Um, one of the advantages uh, that uh, we can offer is that uh, all our staff um, have worked in this bike crazy industry uh, for basically all their professional careers. Um, and, uh, therefore we have numerous contacts and, uh, and friends who can help us in a myriad of ways, uh, could be just simple advice about where to ride, uh, what, what routes to take. Um, and, um, also one thing we manage to pull off very often is, uh, invite some friends to come for our rides. And um, that uh, is very popular with our guests because some of our our friends are are fairly well known cyclists. So um, uh, we can have some professional riders come with us on a, on a specific day, and they ride for us with a, with a, for a few kilometers. And as you can imagine, for some of our nice. guests, that's quite a unique experience. They yeah. can talk about past races or upcoming races. Um, these are car pros who are still active or of professionals who are now retired uh, who can talk about their, their past adventures uh, and past, uh, past wins. I mean, some of our friends or probably our most famous one is Alessandro Balan. Uh, he is a world champion, uh, won the tour of Flanders and uh, he's got <laughs> a lot of stories to tell. And uh, he's been with us on a couple of rides. Uh, literally the guest did not even know he was showing up and, uh, He was there in the morning pumping up his tires for a ride to, alongside our guests, and they weren't even aware of it. <laughs> so, since you said, fortunately, you guys are lean, and um, yeah, that uh, the company is, is, uh, has survived that, that Corona one. But um, you also have some other um, adventures into new fields uh, for business, which, which surprised me. That, that you started uh, going into photography, which I never knew you did. Well, I didn't know until a few years ago either. <laughs> so so what, what, what struck you there to, to give that a try? Well, I mean, uh, basically, I think uh, about five years ago, I bought my first drone. And from there, I took a few pictures um, with the drone. And then from there, I tried to get a little more serious buying a, a DSLR. Um, and, uh, took a few pictures also on our Scato bike tours. And, um, yes, I've started another parallel business, um, uh, which is, uh, still at its very beginning, but, uh, it's a business that, uh, ties photography with, uh, sports events. And we do pictures at these sports events. Um, well, for example, this weekend we're off to a not too shabby place in Cortina, Oh. And we're going to be in Cortina with uh, four photographers uh, taking pictures at a, at a mountain bike race, uh, which is called the Cortina Bike Trophy. And actually, if anybody wants to come and do that event, I highly advise it. It is a beautiful event, a really hardcore uh, uh, route. But uh, It's a marathon, a mountain bike marathon? Yep. They do two routes. I forget the exact kilometers. One is 75 kilometers and the other one is 45 plus. But it's, uh, it's a hardcore event. A lot of single track, a lot of technical riding. And as you can imagine, a lot of climbing. Yeah. 
in a beautiful place. And and you still enjoy flying the drones? Yeah, I mean, at this these events here, we're not doing many drone pictures because, as you can imagine, uh, it's we do the pictures of all, all the riders coming one, uh, one at a time, and sometimes from the first to the last can pass several hours. So we're not going to have a drone flying for <laughs> two hours. Yeah. Um, so the drone does some side pictures, but certainly not the main pictures. But yes, we do all the pictures of all the event, all the all the riders, and then upload them. Uh, to our website, and uh, there, uh, each participant can go and see his pictures, both with the bib number, but also uh, what, which is one something we found uh, we're using now, and uh, other companies are starting to catch on. Also, is uh, you can upload your own selfie, and with uh, facial recognition, you, they can find all their pictures. Wow. That, that sounds cool, but but spooky at the same time, doesn't it, man? It's like, where did you get this connection? From what agencies? <laughs> Believe it or not, with? it's a it's a company in Australia who does this this software. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right. It's uh, it, it it's spooky because uh, it it finds you you if uh, if you ever uh, will be photographed by us. You will see that the selfie finds pictures of you, even cons at a considerable distance. So, listen to your, your story. It seems like that uh, next to the passion of uh, of good times and, and riding bikes, you're, you're you have a passion for technologies, right? I mean, with drones and uh, photography and. Well, I think in this day and age, uh, technology and online and computer. Uh, Uh, is 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 important i enjoy it but i think it's also something that uh we all have to um have to get used to learning and take advantage of all the the opportunities uh technology is offering us and uh, and i think they it is offering us quite a bit but, but have you always been curious in, in terms of using new technologies trying new things or did no. that just start when you had the money now to buy a drone no no absolutely it's something i've always curiosity curiosity did you rebuild the, the tv station or the stereo at home <laughs> your parents i rebuilt a lot of things i like opening them up and don't always get back together but <laughs> that's what down the story <laughs> and these famous stories you know he's yeah. really great taking things apart yeah um and then speaking of technologies uh is is now that e-bike is such a huge trend even in italy um is, is e-bike also something for for your riding tours to consider that that customers bring their bikes absolutely i mean it's um so far we haven't had these these requests to be honest with you but um we've always uh, offered it to people um especially in view of maybe uh, taking on a partner who isn't as in shape as one of the guests who might want to be attending one of our trips so um, as you can imagine, maybe the husband wants to come on the trip, but uh, the wife might even be a cyclist, but not as fanatic as the husband. But right. um, an e-bike could certainly resolve that uh, dilemma in the sense that uh, the husband could ride the regular bike and the wife could ride the e-bike. The e um, so that's a, that's a possibility. But I mean, also... Have you, have you tried? Have you tried yourself e-bikes? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, uh, for example, uh, going back to 
what we were talking about in Cortina. We went and checked out the, the route a few weeks ago, um, and I was riding a, an e-mountain bike. So it's, it's part of your photography business supporting you there? Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. And speaking about the Cortina event again, it's like, so you said you work with four photographers, and so basically you guys cover this. And, and so how, how many pictures do you guys take then per weekend? It can be quite a few. I mean, we're talking of the, an event like this one that we're, we're going to, which will have around 700 people. Um, we'll be probably taking close to 20,000 pictures. Whoa. Yeah, that's a lot. And there's a lot of technology behind how we have to then handle all those pictures. And, and how quick, you know, usually like these people quickly want to share their ego stories, right? Well, in this specific case, the last finisher should finish around five o'clock on Saturday. And we aim to have all the pictures up online by lunchtime of the following day. So less than 24 hours. Yeah, less than 24 hours. And, and this is all with the help of, of the software or of, of that facial recognition or? And a few extra people. Because <laughs> <laughs> Going through all those pictures, as you can imagine, right. takes time. And we go through them. I mean, it's not like we just take the pictures and just shove them online. We go through them. I mean, this, this business is around for, for a long time, even when there was no digital, right? I mean, yeah. that, that, but, um, and, and uh, there's many companies of this. And no, there are, there are other, comp other companies who do uh, very similar things. But um, um, again, um, one a couple of advantages is this new software to find right. uh, to find uh, the participants with the facial recognition is very helpful. Um, but also, um, as as you, as we have been working in this industry for so many years, we have I know also organizers of events, so I can contact them and. Uh, and uh, come to a pretty quick quick agreement on what services we can offer. You just came back from Lake Garda, and of course, couldn't step, couldn't stop telling me how nice it was. You know, I haven't been there because of Corona for a long time. Did, did anything change down there, or is it still all the same after Corona? <sighs> It's funny, actually, you mentioned that because I must say I was pretty surprised that not a hell of a lot has changed in Lake Garda. Not a hell of a lot has changed in Lake Garda. Um, it's, it's still as beautiful as always. Um, but, uh, um, I, I go there now I go there a couple times a year, I would say. Um, I used to go there a hell of a lot more frequently, but, uh, I, there hasn't been a huge, uh, transformation in the area, which I think you could say is positive and negative. They haven't right. invested a lot, but also they've kept it, uh, um, as it, as, as it was, but there's still a lot of tourists, uh, even this weekend, it was pretty damn full. So it, it's coming back to the normal craziness of buses, fully loaded and, uh, restaurants overcrowded. Yep. I think, yep. uh, I hate to say it, but, um, I was in, uh, one area where I, I where, as I mentioned, I went windsurfing and the beach was pretty full. Um, if not completely full. And I must say, I was a bit surprised that I didn't see one mask. A few weeks down the road after summer's over, we will, we will see what it brings to us, right? 
Yep, we will. We or will not. see. I hopefully, hopefully, I'm wrong. <laughs> so, um, what are your learnings from the Corona times? I mean, we all went through this in in our way, but um, I'm curious always to know what's your learning and what will you continue to to do. Um. Well, I think uh, we've all come to terms that uh, we live in uh, in a world where things can change extremely quickly. Um, and uh, we are very delicate. Uh, if you just throw something out of balance, uh, we pay the consequences for years to come. And um, I think that's the the main thing that we've learned from, from this experience. And I think we've, we as a society have to uh, learn how to handle situations like this in a more rapid and clear way, because I think we are only lucky that this virus wasn't even more deadly than it was because otherwise we would have been in deep trouble. And for you personally, any any changes? You say that that's what you're going to do different. Differentiate. Uh, okay. Make sure that you don't have all your stones in one bucket, because we really don't know where what can happen. Well, then it seems to be be set up perfectly, right for the for the for the future, which I hope will be bright and fun. You know. Um, And maybe even start a new business, like you know, I could see you doing the uh, train parties, huh? How about that? Train <laughs> parties, like a party on a train, right? Yeah. You know, since, since, you know, <laughs> for a change uh, um, to to revitalize the train business, um, coming after bike ride and partying in the train. Yeah, yeah, that could be something. <laughs> Charlie, thank you so much for your time. It's been a great talk, catching up, and uh, very interesting. Um, And it sounds like uh, you're doing the right thing. So best of luck. And I hope to see you soon on the bike. Okay. Take care. Dirk, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And I hope your listeners enjoy some of our, uh, our chat and our stories. Mm -hmm.